From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up. that was working on Kevin up on the board of the young that was President Joe Biden on Saturday acknowledging what is unfolding on the southern border as a crisis. We'll talk with Florida Congressman Michael Waltz, a member of the House Armed Services Committee, about the border crisis and the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. And with Major League Baseball playing in political left field, some in Washington are saying it's time to evaluate their special antitrust immunity granted to them by Congress. South Carolina Congressman Jeff Duncan is here with more on that story. And she's at it again. Congresswoman Maxine Waters was in Minnesota this weekend on the eve of the decision in the Derek Chauvin trial, urging demonstrators to get on the streets and get more confrontational. So... When will the media and her Democratic colleagues criticize her for inciting violence? We'll talk with former mayor of Cincinnati, Ken Blackwell, later here on Washington Watch. Also, it's not just professional sports that are jockeying to be first-round picks by the woke left. Big business has become a front-runner. More than 300 corporate leaders and celebrities put their names to a statement last week entitled, We Stand for Democracy. It ran as a two-page ad in the New York Times and other publications. So the question is, does corporate America know what they are creating and where it might lead as they align themselves with the left? We'll talk with Larry Taunton, Executive Director of Fixed Point Foundation, later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on uh, the free speech platform of Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. And by the way, speaking of social media, you never know who's going to be canceled next. So I want to encourage you to stay in contact with us. You can do so by text. Text the word STAND. Text the word STAND to 67742. That number is 67742. 67742. Text the word STAND. That way you can stay in contact with us regardless of what may be happening on the social media platforms. That way we can alert you to national events, uh, legislative battles that are raging and um, provide many resources to you. Now, message and data rates may apply. Reply stop to cancel. Help for help. Visit frc.org slash text for terms and conditions and our privacy policy. All right. On Saturday, as I played that clip, it was hard to hear, but President Biden finally referred to the situation at the southern border as a crisis. But... But the White House is trying to reframe his words, saying instead the president was referring to the crisis in Central America. Here is the White House press secretary earlier today. The president does not feel that children coming to our border seeking refuge from violence, economic hardships, and other dire circumstances is a crisis. So, according to the White House, there is no crisis at the border, but only below the border. Is that so? With me now to talk about the president's comments, as well as the decision to pull U.S. troops out of Afghanistan, is Congressman Mike Waltz, who is a colonel in the National Guard, a combat-decorated de Green Beret, former White House and Pentagon policy advisor, and a member of the House Armed Services Committee. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Yeah, good to be with you. So, uh, Congressman, let me start with this. 
Uh, so who's speaking for the White House, the president or the press secretary? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Uh, and who's speaking for the American people that live along uh, that border? Who's speaking for the estimated 30 to 40 percent of young girls who are sexually assaulted on that journey that President Biden's uh, policies are incentivizing uh, people to make? I think those are all good questions. Who's speaking for our veterans uh, that aren't getting the services that they have rightfully earned, uh, our school systems, our roads, our bridges, all of which will be taxed by this influx of what some estimates uh, are, are saying could be millions of people if these policies don't change. You know, I'm going to talk about this a little later in the program. Larry Taunton, um, who was just down in South and Central America, uh, but many of these people who are coming to this country are fleeing socialist policies, the very <laughs> thing that we see the Democratic Party in this country pushing. Yeah, that's absolutely right. They want you to believe that they're fleeing climate change. And yes, uh, the Central America did get hit by, uh, by two hurricanes, but really what it is is a corrupt socialist governments who can't effectively respond and can't uh, help their people and economies that have been devastated by by left-wing policies now for years that's really what the issue is and and you know ultimately when biden comes in and says uh they're not going to deport anybody for the first 100 days you no longer have to remain in mexico uh, while you wait for asylum claims you no longer have to apply for asylum from your home country as long as you get a toe in the united states then basically you'll be taken care of and released into the interior with given a court date some some years in the future to come back with that's going to incentivize people to come and that's exactly what we're seeing i mean this is yeah. a this is a crisis of our own making and that that hard-nosed determination to not admit it for political reasons uh is is just really truly disheartening yeah, I, I don't. Uh, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but on this particular issue, the contrast between the policies of the two administrations could not be sharper. As I've mentioned here on the program many times, I was at the border a little over a year ago, and it was like a ghost town. Now it's Grand Central Station, and it's all because of the differing policies of the two administrations. And Tony, well, and Tony, let me just say, you know, we're seeing it within the United States in terms of people fleeing policies of the left. You know, I'm, you know I'm, I represent North Florida. We've got 1,000 people a day coming in from the Northeast, from California. I'm telling them all to leave their politics at the tour. Yeah. But people are voting with their feet when it comes to these blue state left-wing policies. California is set to lose a representative uh, due to the census and how many people are leaving for the first time in its history. Yeah, that's a really good point. We're seeing that in the demographic shifts across the country. Uh, and, you, and you talk about, and, and I know it was, is somewhat uh, tongue-in-cheek, but there's some truth to that when you look at people who are fleeing uh, these liberal policies of the Northeast and uh, the West Coast. they got to leave those policies behind. But in particular, what is uh, very destructive are many of these corporations that are fleeing these high-tax uh, places like New York and California and bringing their own left-leaning policies to states like Florida and Texas and, and elsewhere. That has to be watched very carefully. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, the hypocrisy in corporate America right now who wants to appear, you know, woke uh, on the airwaves and protesting Georgia, 
But yet when it comes to taxes and overregulation or fleeing blue states to red states like Florida, uh, Texas and, and, and Tennessee, you know, are willing to donate tens of millions to social justice causes in the United States, but turn a blind eye to the act of genocide that's going on in China. You and I have talked about right. the hypocrisy is just is is just ridiculous. Well, corporate America needs to understand the connection between the conservative fiscal policies and the conservative social policies that provide the foundation for economic growth in these states. That's why conservative states are growing economically. <laughs> and so if these corporations want to continue to benefit from that environment, they got to leave the, uh, the the policies of these states, quit sticking their nose into these uh, these policies that simply protect the sanctity of human life, protect girls' sports, and, and you name it. Right. That's No, that's absolutely right. At the end of the day, uh, you know, the Democrats' policies message very well. It's hard to compete with, I'll admit, because it's hard to compete with a four-letter word called free uh, that gets people addicted uh, to that to that government uh, a, a assistance. But their policies have never worked anywhere around the world. Eventually, you run out of other people's money, uh, but they're looking to then supplement uh, you know, people are fleeing those blue states, but now, you know, you have hundreds of thousands of immigrants pouring across the border that the Democrats and the left hope will be their future voters. Uh, and that, that's just a policy for disaster. It's also hard to compete against a three-letter word, at least in the short-term lie, uh, because so, <laughs> so often they don't even tell the truth about what they're doing. I, I want to transition to another foreign policy issue beyond our southern border, and that's to the announcement last week of the U.S. pulling all troops out of Afghanistan on September yeah. the 11th, that that'll be complete by September the 11th. Well, first of all, it's insulting to have this surrender on September 11th. You know, that should be a solemn date only for the families of, of those victims and for the Gold Star families and veterans of so many other that brought justice to Al-Qaeda, to the Taliban for September 11th. So that's tone deaf and insulting on the face of it. Here's the thing, Tony, this is repeating exactly what Obama did in Iraq, where he pulled our troops out too soon. We saw ISIS come roaring back, wreak devastation across the region, including hundreds of thousands of Christians that they persecuted, attacks across Europe, inspired attacks across the United States, the intelligence community is clear. Afghan government is likely to fall in the wake of our withdrawal. Al-Qaeda will come roaring back, and we're going to find ourselves fighting our way back in. I get the frustration out there. Too hard, too long, too expensive. I wrote a book called Warrior Diplomat on the mistakes that we've made in Afghanistan. But at the end of the day, we need to stay on offense. We need to fight forward. Uh, I do not want to see attacks. Yeah, I do not want to see these terrorists following us home here in the United States. Uh, and a small presence focused on counterterrorism and continuing to train and mentor the Afghan army so that eventually they can take the fight completely on their own is the responsible policy. President Trump wanted us out, too. Uh, I had a lot of conversations with him about it, but he was going to do it conditions based. Only if the Taliban, uh, you know, really stepped up to their end of the bargain. Biden is saying no matter what, uh, he's yanking everybody out. And that is a recipe for attacks right back here home. We need to be fighting this in places like Kabul, Kandahar, Damascus, not Kansas City, Orlando, San Bernardino. 
extremely important point and and our presence there is very limited about 2500 troops and it's a force multiplication effort by us being there working with the indigenous troops there to keep that's the, right uh, the terrorists at bay so as you point out isn't it better to make a small investment even if it's a long-term investment there in that country rather than battling them here on our own soil yeah it's an insurance policy against not having attacks at home and I want to be clear because this, this isn't really understood. The Afghans are doing the vast majority of the fighting. We're there providing critical support, like intelligence, like air support, like logistics. But we do have a small force there of special operators ready to take unilateral action if we need to. And importantly, Tony, when the military goes, the CIA will go with them, uh, and then we're going to be blind. So the Biden administration is going to convince you that we can do over the what they are calling over the horizon counterterrorism. I think they've read too many Tom Clancy books. I could tell you as a Green Beret, that's not how it works. You have to have folks on the ground running sources, informants, having active intelligence, uh, and being ready to keep pressure and our foot on the neck of these terrorist groups. Uh, Congressman, if I'm not mistaken, you're the only Green Beret that has served in Congress and currently serving, and you've spoken out on these issues, and we're going to talk more about that later, but very quickly, you've re you've uh, you've reached out to Secretary Blinken. Any response from him? Zero response, and we've even reached out from a human rights perspective as well. Uh, you know, uh, the Afghan parliament sits aside 25% of its seats for women that have been brutalized by the Taliban. Uh, they are in a state of panic right now. I just spoke to some of the female Afghan gotta, negotiators, we leave it, uh, and they're afraid. We've got to leave it there. We've got to leave no it there out of time. Folks, stick, stick with us. We're back. For centuries, the Bible has inspired humanity and shaped the very world we live in. But how do we know this book is the Word of God and not merely the words of men? What we believe about the Bible is based on what we believe about its source. The God Who Speaks explores the evidence of the Bible's inspiration and authority through some of the world's most respected biblical scholars. We have essentially a dual authorship. So it's true to say that Paul wrote Romans. It's equally true to say that God wrote Romans. He says, we saw this. And that sets the Bible apart from almost everything else in the ancient world and its religious pantheon of gods and goddesses. The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. Here's a moment of hope for your home with Jerry and Becky Drace. Do you know the difference between a wise person and a foolish one? Listen carefully to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 8. The wise in heart will receive commands, but foolish lips will fall. It is foolish to set standards for life based on personal choices or public opinions. Following the right instructions will lead to a better outcome for yourself and your family. God's Word has 10 basic commandments or instructions for life. If we choose to read and live by them, then we are assured of God's presence and guidance. My standards aren't perfect, but God's are. Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace, including evangelism with integrity, devotions, articles, and more at hopeforthehome.org. This has been a moment of hope for your home.
This is good news, maybe exactly when you need it to. Right now, MetaShare is waiving their new member fees. This could save you money on top of all that you'll save each month by becoming a member of MetaShare. So many people are looking for a healthcare solution right now, seeing the cost of COBRA plans, for instance, and MetaShare is the affordable alternative to health insurance. The typical family saves $500 a month. You might save even more. MediShare is a Christian community that shares each other's healthcare costs. And because of the current economic situation, they're making it easier than ever. Apply by April 30th and you can save an additional $170 on your first month. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Just tell them the promo code SHARE to receive your additional savings. Maybe now is the time to make the switch like more than 400,000 people already have and start saving. Here it is. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So glad you are with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Republican lawmakers in the U.S. House and the Senate have filed legislation to remove the judicially fabricated antitrust exemption that Major League Baseball has enjoyed for uh, about a century. They say that it would be irresponsible to continue to provide special treatment to the Major League uh, to Major League Baseball as they cause damage to hardworking Georgians and small businesses with their decisions to pull the All-Star Game out of Atlanta. You know, this, this is very interesting because, you know, big business, the same thing with big business, we're big business, business, we were just talking about that, how they are, um, you know, they, they want special treatment, they, they love lower taxes, less regulation, but they're on the left's bandwagon with all this uh, wokeism. How, I mean, they want their cake, they eat it too. And this is the same with Major League Sports. Joining me now to talk more about this is uh, South Carolina Congressman Jeff Duncan, who, along with Senator Mike Lee, has introduced legislation to remove this antitrust exemption. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Well, Tony, thanks for having me. You know, the Major League Baseball has enjoyed an unconstitutional, many think, exemption from antitrust laws, laws for almost a century. No other sports league has been shielded from antitrust laws like Major League Baseball. And their decision to go woke and remove the all-star game from uh, Atlanta and give it to Denver instead really reeks of politics. This happened because Georgia simply tried to crack down on cheating in their election system to make sure that the voters of Georgia felt like there was some integrity in their system. You know, that's really something that Major League Baseball should think about because they had the Houston Astros sign-stealing fiasco. They should focus on their own problems in baseball rather than to play politics. You know, Tony, I know you know this, but your listeners may not. The Georgia law requires a a voter ID. That law should be the law in all 50 states. Uh, In fact, it is the law in New York where Major League Baseball headquarters is. So this isn't an attempt to stop legitimate voters from voting. It's an attempt to stop Democrats from cheating in elections, something they're notorious for doing, going all the way back to, to LBJ in Texas in the 1940s and you know, dead voters in Chicago voting for John F. Kennedy. Democrat voter fraud has been around for a long time. We saw a lot of it in the last time. Voters just need to know that there's some integrity in the election system and corporations who engage in this kind of political behavior. To the clear detriment of one party's voters over the other, they don't deserve special favors from government 
and Major League Baseball effectively forfeited its antitrust exemption through this. You've got, you have about 48 states that have introduced legislation to clean up irregularities that took place in the last fall, in last fall's election. The, the, the issue is that Georgia is really at the tip of the spear and, and the left feels like if they can stop Georgia dead in their tracks, they'll send a message to the other states. So I understand that from the political left. I mean, that's how they play ball. But now they've drafted Major League Baseball and F Fortune 500 companies into this. And so if you live in a glass house, you shouldn't throw rocks. Uh, there's no doubt about it. You know, these companies need to focus on doing what they do best, whether it's making a beverage or flying passengers around the world or running a Major League sports team, not bow to the whims of the woke mob out there and the Stacey Abrams of the world. It's wrong. And I think this is backfiring on Major League Baseball. Uh, and I think it's going to backfire on the corporations as well that have gone bro uh, gone woke. And uh, they're not going to go broke over it, but it's definitely going to hurt their bottom line. So, Jeff, uh, t tell us a little bit of history here. I mean, obviously, this, as you said, has been in, uh, in place longer. You and I have been alive going back almost a century. Um, but Congress basically never paid any attention to it. American pastime, but not so much anymore. Yeah, you know, um, this does go back a long way. And it... it it affects teams that want to transfer to other cities. Um, they have to bow to the whims of, of Major League Baseball in general. Uh, it, it comes into salary caps for our minor league players and, and really affects, I think, their antitrust um, exemption affects the minor league probably as much or more so than, than the big teams there uh, in the major cities like Atlanta. But, uh, it, you know, if they're going to play and dabble in politics like this, they need to lose that exemption and, and compete just like every other business has to, why should Major League Baseball have an exemption that, um, you know, Boeing or BMW don't uh, don't have in this uh, in this country? So this would allow uh, cities and others that want to uh, to have a ball team in their particular city state. Uh, they don't have to go through the Major League Baseball Association league. That's correct. You know, they could they could just uh, have it. And um, you're already seeing things like this happen around the world. We just saw the um, uh, soccer league over in Europe uh, divide off 12 teams, split off to create a, another league and, and compete with, uh, with, major, with the uh, major soccer league there. Competition works, and um, right. I think it would work in baseball. I'm not necessarily – I'm a big baseball fan, and this the, you know hurts me a little bit, but it also irks me that Major League Baseball did what they did in Atlanta. You're going to see small businesses there, Tony, in Atlanta really, really struggle financially that we're counting on this, what, once every 20 years um, all-star game coming to Atlanta and affecting their bottom line. Right. Uh, one last question for you, Congressman Jeff Duncan. Uh, any word from uh, the Major League Baseball League regarding this? I think they're saying, you know, this has been tried before. Congress has filed bills before to get their attention. Um, I think ultimately they're going to hear from the fans who, um, you know, wanted to come to Atlanta and experience a great night of baseball in the South, uh, who may not go to Denver, who uh, may boycott uh, Major League Baseball in general. Uh, that's where the pressure is going to come from. This just raises awareness. Is this bill going to pass a Democrat-controlled House, Senate, and uh, and presidency? No, it probably won't. But it is a shot across the bow, and Major League Baseball needs uh, to take notice. I think they have, and uh, we'll see what the outcome is, Tony. 
Well, I hope that many of these bills, which we would call kind of in the inside messaging bills, uh, will be around when the Republicans have control of the Congress. And so I think corporate America, as uh, the leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, Republican leader, warned recently, um, you know what, you need to stay out of politics and just do what uh, you were created to do. I agree. Congressman, and, that, and that goes to corporations as well, not just Major League right. Baseball. So this wasn't a brushback pitch. This is something we take seriously. Uh, I am all for that. Congressman Jeff Duncan, as always, great to talk with you. Thanks for joining us. Same here, Tony. Thanks. All right. Uh, speaking of Congress, Maxine Waters on the streets of Minnesota saying it's time to get aggressive. Really? On the eve of an explosive trial there for George Floyd and his death and police officer, former police officer Derek Chauvin. We're going to talk with Ken Blackwell, former mayor of Cincinnati, next about whether or not this was responsible or irresponsible. And what about the voices in the media? Silence. Don't go away. Making the most of your money. Here's Dan Celia on American Family Radio. Well, as we get ready to start a new week, let's look back first a little bit at last week and take a look at what has happened from an economic data perspective. The real important number last week was industrial production. And we saw industrial production didn't meet expectations. They were expecting a 2.7% industrial production. We got a 1.4. That's a huge miss. But at the same time, it's coming off a negative 2.6. So all in all, it's a pretty big swing. The other numbers were building permits issued. I don't pay too much attention to building permits, but nonetheless, it was up 1.77 million. So that was up from last month. Housing starts for the month of March were also up at 1.74. When we look back at last week, they were some pretty good numbers and obviously are going to be helpful as we move forward. So not a lot of economic data coming out this week, but we are going to see a lot of earnings reports beginning to come out. And then next week, we will be in the heart of earnings reports, and it should give us some indication about what things are looking like through the end of the first half of the year. We do get an existing home sales number. That's the month of March. It's a little bit too far looking back right now for us to really pay a lot of attention to it, but it will give us some indication as to the trajectory of existing homes, new home sales also coming out for the month of March. It's going to be an interesting week, but earnings are likely to hold the attention of the markets. Want to hear more financial advice from Dan Celia? Look for his podcast at AFR.net. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Glad to have you with us. All right, Minneapolis and cities across the country are bracing for the for a verdict in the trial of Derek Chauvin, former police officer charged in the death of George Floyd. I mean, we've and we've had these uh, shootings the last week or so, and we've had violence. Um, in fact, over the weekend there were protests in several U.S. cities, including Brook, Brooklyn Center. Minnesota, which was the site of one of those shootings last week. And uh, they're present on the streets after curfew. 
if I'm not mistaken, was uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters. And she told demonstration demonstrators on Saturday night to stay in the streets and become more confrontational. She also said, if a guilty verdict is not delivered, we cannot go away. Now, remember, this is the same Maxine Waters who three years ago called on people to publicly confront and harass members of the Trump administration. And she's also, by the way, the one who um, talked about Republicans and the president in particular, that he should be uh, impeached for inciting violence on January the 6th. Right, let, let me, lest you think I'm putting words in her mouth, take a li listen to what she had to say Saturday in Minnesota. Well, we, we got to stay on the street uh, and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they, they know that we need business. They need to know that we mean business. Joining me now to talk about this, Ken Blackwell, former mayor of Cincinnati, secretary of state of the state of Ohio, and now FRC senior fellow for human rights and constitutional governance. Ken, welcome back to the program. Tony, it's good to be with you, sir. All right, uh, w was she inciting uh, folks there in Minnesota? The Congresswoman is a drum major for chaos and moral relativism. Uh, she apparently doesn't have a clue as to why this country has been the most prosperous, the most diverse uh, constitutional republic uh, in all of, of all of human history. Tony, you know, uh, we have here in Cincinnati uh, Hebrew Union College, uh, and it, it was started and headquartered here in Cincinnati. Uh, and one of the professors there who was a mentor and a colleague of Dr. Martin Luther King was Abraham Joshua Heschel. And Heschel was fond of saying that this, respect discovers the dignity in others. Dr. King understood it. And so when he posed the question, chaos or community, he chose community in which, in fact, we understood that unity did not mean uniformity, but it respected the human dignity of others. Uh, and, and as a consequence, we in fact pushed through and established the civil rights movement and made major reforms. Maxine Waters has taken us two steps backwards with her rhetoric, uh, and she is in fact a coward. Because if in fact she wanted to confront destructive forces in our community, she would be on the streets of Chicago. She would be on the streets of Detroit. She would be on the streets of Los Angeles, pushing back against, you know, the forces of violence that are destroying our cities. And in fact, uh, she would be on the front lines of defending and supporting our, our police departments across the country. What she's doing is calling for their defunding their reimagination uh, and what she is doing is making our cities less safe. Well, if she were on the streets of Los Angeles, she'd be a little too close to home uh, since that's <laughs> supposed to be her district in that area. I, I wanna, I wanna be very clear. Uh, I, I, I am a strong advocate of the freedom of speech. And, you know, I, I think you have the freedom to say stupid things. Now, I do think there are limits, obviously, uh, within the law. So my, my beef is not so much that she is saying stupid things, because that's kind of what she does. My beef is a double standard, uh, her double standard 
and the double standard by the media. I mean, this is this is the same woman that thought Donald Trump should be impeached for, quote unquote, inciting violence on January the 6th. Quote, we're not going to support these kinds of dangerous protesters. Look, she's up there inciting some of those who knows whether or not some of those had been a part of last year's burning of the city there in uh, Minneapolis. If this trial, as she said, doesn't go the way they want it to go, they're to stay in the streets until they get justice. So what is justice then to them? Well, Tony, that's why I said, you know, she uh, is a big uh, advocate of moral relativism. And so, you know, it is when it feels good, that's when you do it. If it crosses your purposes, you don't recognize justice. You don't recognize community. Uh because it doesn't suit your agenda. Uh, the reality is, is that she's not a she's not a dumb person, but she is stuck on stupid in what she's advocating. And, and people are becoming more and more aware of her double standards when she, in fact, incites not only confrontation, uh, but violence against public officials. Uh, and then she wants to talk about uh, defunding the police. Uh, men and women who are on the front lines, they're not perfect, they're, they're, they're not without mistakes. But right. if you look at it, the good that they do uh, is much more than the, the, the evil that she advances with her the rhetoric of division uh, and confrontation. Ken Blackwell, we're going to have a we're leave it there for today, but I'm sure we're going to revisit this issue later. As always, great to talk with you, my friend. Good to be with you. All right, folks, stick around. On the other side of the break, Larry Taunton from Fixed Point uh, is going to be with us discussing this Marxist agenda that uh, corporate America really, they, they may not know it, but they're signing on to by supporting the left's agenda. We talk about that next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I, I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. American Family Radio newscasts are now available as a podcast. I'm Rusty Pugh. I'm Steve Jordahl. Didn't catch the full story? Listen to the podcast. I'm Chris Woodward. I'm Chad Groening. Didn't have the radio on at the top of the hour? Listen to the podcast. I'm Charlie Bunch. And I'm Fred Jackson. Get accurate news from a Christian perspective whenever you want it with the American Family News podcast. You can also sign up for our daily news brief. Visit onenewsnow.com. This is Frank Affney, host of Secure Freedom Radio. It's your personal daily intelligence briefing about the challenges we face, how they're likely to affect you, and what we can do about them. 
You can find Secure Freedom Radio here every weeknight at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Tune in to learn from our extraordinary experts what you need to know and will want to share. Join us for Secure Freedom Radio tonight at 11 Eastern, right here on AFR. Mark Twain wrote, The best way to cheer yourself up is to try to cheer somebody else up. I think it works because we end up talking to ourselves. We listen to the encouraging words we're saying to another person and discover they apply to us as well. In Psalm 42, we find the writer talking to himself when he is discouraged. Why are you cast down, O my soul, he says to himself. Hope in God and remember God, he says. Even if there isn't another person you can encourage, you can encourage yourself by remembering who God is and what he has done in your life. Now this is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's encouragement on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today. Tony Perkins, the website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on the free speech platform of Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. All right, earlier in the program, we were talking with Congressman Jeff Duncan about how major league sports have kind of adopted the woke playbook of the left. But it's not just sports. In fact, uh, big business is giving uh, professional sports a run for their money. Last week, more than 300 corporate leaders and celebrities put their names uh, to a statement titled, We Stand for Democracy. It ran as a two-page ad in the New York Times and other publications. Now, the statement last Wednesday came out just days after about 90 of those CEOs gathered for a Zoom call to repudiate the new election laws in Georgia. And by the way, um, it was a law that if they had read it, they would realize it, it makes it actually easier to vote in Georgia, just more difficult to cheat. Hmm, that's telling. And the joint statement, like those made by other companies in response to Georgia's election reform efforts is very general, failing to point out specifically what is discriminatory about election reform legislation in Georgia and other states. And there's a reason for that. They were simply repeating what the legacy media has been falsely saying. What's perhaps worse is how the New York Times shamed CEOs who didn't sign the statement. As many critics have noted, the Times article on the statement is not journalism, it's activism. And that's what the, the media, I've been saying this, the media has become a part of the opposition party. Opposition to what? Opposition to America, to the founding principles. But what we are seeing unfold here, is, is, is very troubling on its face, but the question is, is there something more sinister at work, something more that should be more deeply troubling than what we see on the surface? Joining me now to talk about this, Larry Taunton, who has written and spoken extensively about how Marxism ties into what we're seeing from the radical left in America today. Uh, Larry, welcome back to the program. It's great to be with you, Tony. 
Now, Larry, um, you're executive director of Fixed Point Foundation, but uh, you're a graduate student of Russian history and Marxism back in the 1990s when everybody thought it was going away. Uh, little did we know that it would resurface here in the United States. Yeah, you know, when I was getting my master's degree and working on my PhD, uh, I, I recall people telling me, Tony, I've said this on, on, your, uh, on your show, that, um, you know, this was a waste of time. I mean, Marxism was dead. The Soviet Union had collapsed in 91. And here I was in the mid-90s, you know, uh, studying the subject. Little did I know that we would be, uh, that I'd be applying that um, to the American political landscape. This, um, I think we have a, a graphic of this full text of the statement that ran in the New York Times and other publications. We stand for democracy, a government of the people, by the people, a beautifully American ideal, but a reality denied to many for much of this nation's history. As Americans, we know that in our dem democracy, we should not expect to agree on everything. However, regardless of our political affiliations, we believe the very foundation of our electoral process rests upon the ability of each of us to cast our ballots for the candidates of our choice. For American democracy to work for any of us, we must ensure the right to vote for all of us. We all should feel a responsibility to defend the right to vote and to oppose any discriminatory legislation or measures that restrict or prevent any eligible voter from having an equal and fair opportunity to cast a ballot. I mean, look, I, I think every American who is a registered voter and has the legal right to vote should have the assurance that that vote will count. It will not be diluted by illegal votes. And that's something that these CEOs stop short of. Yes, um, uh, they they do. Uh, as you pointed out, many of these corporate heads have not read this legislation. Um, the left has been very effective in portraying the uh, the new Georgia law uh, as some sort of new Jim Crow, as some kind of um, discriminatory uh, practice or poll tax. And interestingly enough, as we know with Amazon and Coca-Cola uh, and numerous others, they require voter ID um, of their own shareholders, uh, of their own employees when uh, voting on issues that affect um, the company. So, um, you know, we're, we're seeing great hypocrisy here and ignorance of this Georgia law. Uh, Larry Taunton, uh, a McLaughlin poll that was published last Friday. In that poll, three quarters of all voters, 78%, actually more than three quarters, support voter ID requirements in elections which require voters to present a valid government issued uh, issued form of identification to prove they are who, who they say they are when they are voting or requesting a ballot. I mean, the American people see this. As you pointed out, businesses require this. Some of these same ones that are bemoaning the actions that Georgia took which other states have already done. So what's really at play here? What's going on? Well, let's let's also point out that the poll shows that, um, that both white and black support this law. Right. So uh, this isn't simply um, white voters who are in favor of this. It's across the, um, the, the spectrum that people are in favor of it. I, I think there are several things at work here, Tony. One of which is we're seeing, you know, I'm a capitalist, you're a capitalist. I believe that capitalism is 
quite biblical. But capitalism, like anything, when it becomes unprincipled, uh, it can, uh, can, can become quite uh, uh, dangerous. And in this case, we're seeing unprincipled capitalism, meaning that we have corporate heads who have licked their fingers and put it uh, put them into the air and have decided that it is a better business practice to support um, the woke mob because they think that's the direction things are going and they think that's the way they can make money. Now, I would say to you that that's a, uh, that's a poor wager, it's a poor bargain, but I think that's one of the things that we're seeing there. The other thing that we're seeing is we're seeing um, that the woke mob, which is indeed um, driven by Marxist ideology, they have learned throughout history that the easiest way to get power isn't through a democratic process, it is through coercion, it is through threats. And this is what we're seeing on the left in a very big way. Let me go back to the first point. If you know business is sticking their finger in the wind to see which way the cultural winds are blowing, which all evidence would suggest that's exactly what they're doing, what's the history of Marxist movements and privately owned businesses? Well, of course, uh, as you and I both know, um, Marxists don't believe in private uh, property. They believe that the means of production are to be owned by the states. So there is a sense in which these corporations are cutting their own throats unwittingly. But I believe that what they're looking at, and in some cases, I mean, Coca-Cola has been on the left for quite some time, and I think that's just where they are ideologically. Uh, Amazon is the same thing. Um, Google, for example, they're they're driving some of uh, what we're seeing on the left. So I, I think their motivations are driven by by their own ideological commitments. But I believe that there are many others who are, are bowing to this pressure because they think it's the easier path because they see what is happening um, to those corporations or those individuals. Mike Lindell is the, uh, you know, is the poster boy of, um, of, of this, where um, he was canceled by corporate America and they don't want to be the next in line. Uh, but Larry, th this isn't your uh, your granddad's uh, typical liberal. I mean, we're talking about a new left that is, is, quite frankly, not been seen to this degree in the United States before. I mean, we're seeing uh, we're seeing. I mean, these the, look what's happening in law enforcement. We've talked about that about mm -hmm. how you know when when the police do their their job and sometimes do it well, sometimes they don't do it so well. But we burn cities. I mean, that is undermining the rule of law. Do, do, do corporations really think that this new leftist agenda, this Marxist agenda, will stop at the door of corporate America? I think that that answer would vary from one corporation uh, to the next. But, you know, in my own conversations, Tony, with uh, heads of major companies uh, in this country, um, even those those heads who are conservative, I sense fear on their part. They fear their employees. Um, they fear bad reviews. They fear their shareholders. Um, they fear being canceled. I mean, increasingly, uh, even conservative companies are not interested in backing or sponsoring conservative efforts. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a major problem, and it's something that we absolutely 
have to address because whether they realize it or not, this this isn't going to stop with them bending the knee on this issue. It'll just be another and then another and another. Uh, and, um, and and again, as we pointed out, uh, Marxists are not big fans of private property and um, uh, profit unless, of course, uh, it belongs to them. Yeah, this, this is not... Um... I mean, it's relevant to our discussion. It's an observation. I mean, corporate America, I think, has been teeing this up for quite some time. As you just pointed out, they're concerned yeah. about what the reviews will be. They're concerned about what uh, their, their their employees will say. It's all short-term concern. And that's what we've seen in corporate America in the last several decades, where it's just turning that quarterly profit. It's not, they're not really concerned about the long-term. And, and so these CEOs are just, trying to think about how they get through this year, they're not necessarily concerned about where that corporation may be in 10 years from now. Yeah, and I, I think that much of corporate America, Tony, has been caught unaware by this. Now, that seems surprising to people um, like you and me, I mean, because we follow these kinds of things on a regular basis, but I think your typical corporate head in America has not thought um, that he was going to have to weigh in on um, political issues in a very big way. Um, and now they find themselves in a, in a circumstance that, um, that feels uh, dangerous, um, untenable, uh, social media. I mean, we saw what happened. I mean, take for example, Hyatt um, for sponsoring CPAC. Uh, there was an effort to cancel Hyatt. Now I think Hyatt uh, managed that exceptionally well. They did not uh, bend the knee. Um, to the woke mob. They used it as an opportunity to promote their facilities and their hotels and that they're open to anyone who wishes uh, to use them. Uh, but most are not handling it as well as, uh, as Hyatt has handled it. And until people uh, on the right, until conservatives have their equivalent uh, kind of meeting of the, the, the sort that you opened this segment with, with 300 corporate heads getting on the phone and talking about how they can use their combined might um, to cancel an entire state's election law, um, I think we're going to continue um, seeing this uh, gain momentum on the left. Uh, so, Larry, uh, has this wokeism in America and corporate America, has it reached the, the, the high tide or is there more to come? What, what, what's, what's the future look like? I think it's going to get much worse, actually, until conservatives, until conservatives, uh, let me put it this way, I, I think we're seeing the tail wag the dog. I think conservatives um, are, the, uh, are the dog in this case, not the tail. And um, we have um, a much greater potential. We have much greater numbers, but we're much less organized. Uh, the left is uh, exceptionally well-organized, exceptionally well-funded, and utterly dedicated um, to their cause. Until we have similar unity and organization on our side, I think this is just going to get worse. Or maybe we should be like a Doverman uh, with a clip tail. Uh, we'll have to worry about the tail wagging the dog. There you go. I, I, I want to I switch gears here. You spent the last two months in uh, South America looking at the southern border crisis from the other side. What did you see? You know, it's funny, Tony. I, I found myself thinking 
we keep talking about a border crisis, um, all these people who are coming to the, uh, the American border, but no one seems to be asking why are they coming to our border? Uh, I mean, if cattle were stampeding across your, uh, your property, you would want to know what is going on that is, uh, that is causing this. Is there a brush fire? Are there, are there um, uh, poachers? What is causing it? So yes, I went to the other side um, of the border, I crisscrossed uh, um, South America, and, uh, and in talking to refugees, what you discover, Tony, is that they're fleeing socialism and unreasonable lockdowns in search of freedom. So I would then say that it looks like the Democratic Party is doing everything they can to stem that flow because uh, they're taking those socialist principles and trying to put them into play here. Well, the interesting thing is, uh, is here, Tony, is I think that, that Republicans have to get their messaging right on immigration. I mean, we believe in a sensible immigration law. We don't believe in letting the criminal elements in, you know, the cartels and things of this nature. However, we do need uh, immigrants. The same corporate heads I was speaking of before will tell you that their labor force um, is, uh, is desperate for many of them. However, um, I, I think that, that many of the immigrants that I'm speaking to in Colombia, in Brazil, in, in Venezuela, who are escaping those places, Panama, um, they're not naturally predisposed to being Democrats, meaning they're mm -hmm. generally from Catholic backgrounds, hardworking, family-oriented, aren't used to government subsidies, and know what socialism is and hate it. But when they are given um, the, the impression um, that Republicans are opposed to them no matter what, and Democrats are open to them, You're given right. those two choices, they're going to lean towards the Democratic yeah. Party. Larry, we got to leave it there. We're out of time. As always, great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you, Tony. It's a delight to be with you, too. And folks, thank you for joining us as well. Until next time, I encourage you with the words of the Apostle Paul, when you've done everything you could do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, you got it. By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.